very important announcement that um, several friends of Michelle Klemek, and we're grateful to have Michelle here this morning. Uh, Michelle, as you know, or most of you know, is in a very um, severe battle with cancer right now. In fact, I'm going to have her share just a mo- in just a moment. But uh, some friends uh, have come together and said, we want to do a fundraiser. Uh, there's been a very unique treatment opportunity opened up for Michelle in Mexico. Um, and some friends are wanting to just help with the expenses of getting her to that treatment. There's going to be a fundraiser uh, that will be held here on July 28th. There will be more information about that, the details of it, next week in the bulletin. There will also be more information coming on Facebook and uh, website and all those things. So uh, as, long as, as well as avenues for, through which you can donate toward this um, but right after the service today, downstairs in the uh, lower-level multi-purpose room, is going to be a, uh, a meeting for anyone who would like to volunteer to help at the fundraiser on July 28th. Uh, lots of things are going to be happening that day. We need a lot of muscle power set up, uh, overseeing some activities that are going to be taking place, food, tables, all those kinds of things. So. If you have time and can come right after the service today, 11.30 downstairs, uh, there will, some of the uh, leaders of this event are going to be present to sort of uh, describe uh, the different kinds of tasks that are going to be part of this. So if you can stick, stick around today and help us out on that, that'd be great. Uh, if you can't, we'll also be uh, getting the information out uh, in some other ways. So God bless you for that. As you know, we are uh, in a series right now where we're looking at the credibility of the claim that the Scripture makes. The Scripture, the writers of the Scripture, amazingly claim that they were writing as God led them. That the Scripture, the Bible, what we call the Bible, is the message from God to humanity. Uh, When Jesus came into the world, he confirmed that. We're going to talk more about that in just a few moments. But before we do that, I asked Michelle this past week, Uh, to come and share with us just as sort of a living testimony of the power of Scripture, the power of God's Word to sustain a person who is walking through a deep valley like Michelle is right now, along with her family. So let's welcome Michelle as she comes and just uh, opens her heart with us for just a few moments. Thank you, Pastor. And I, I wrote it down because otherwise I would get on a lot of tangents and I, would, <laughs> I wouldn't want to do that. So um, God's word definitely is my sustenance and his word is so alive and it has been with me for many years. Um, so I'm going to read this to you this morning. Many years ago, I struggled to find time to get into God's word. I recall thinking, how did Daniel in the Old Testament meet and pray with the Lord three times a day? Then 11 years ago, I was diagnosed with breast cancer. The C-bomb was dropped in my life. I must admit, I had a peace that surpassed all understanding. As others were crying for me, I said, don't cry for me. I know where I'm going. Cry for my husband. He's left with all these kids. (laughs) For those of you that don't know us, we have nine children. We had four, and then we adopted five. Uh, Four of them have special needs. I have stated many times that that which was supposed to be death became life for me. 
It was during that time I drew heavily from God's word. One of the first things God told me through his word was Philippians 1.6. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. The therapy I was doing had a detox protocol three times a day. I told the Lord I would devote that time to him, to reading his word and praying. Well, God's word opened up to me like never before. It became alive and active and very powerful in my life. It carried me through each and every day. As needs and trials arose, it was no coincidence that God's word gave me exactly what I needed for that day and that moment. Cancer became smaller to me. It was no longer the end all. It became the starting point for me. I now understood how Daniel devoted three times a day to God. I read his word. I prayed his word. I had peace, and a peace of God's glory was upon me. The living God literally wrapped his comforting arms around me and got us through all those dark days. Well, now fast forward to a couple months ago. In my quiet time, I journal. Two days before this current journey began, I wrote something that the Lord impressed on me that I will share with you. Keep watch. Keep praying. The time is drawing near. Be about my business, kingdom purposes. Comfort my people. Disciple those I give you to care for. Not one will perish. In Jesus' name, they will be saved. I now would like to share little snippets of my journal entries I'd allow you, I want you to walk with me to hear my words and also the scripture that was given to me on those days. My stomach is bloating, uncomfortable, ribs hurting. Father, I ask you for healing. I am uncertain of the next steps, but I am certain of God. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. As discomfort and bloat increased, God's Holy Spirit drew me to his word. Isaiah 46, 3 and 4. You whom I have upheld since you were conceived and have carried you since your birth, even to your old age and gray hairs, I am he. I am he who will sustain you. I have made you and I will carry you. I will sustain you and I will rescue you. I then wrote, All that concerneth me, my heavenly Father knows. He has me in his palms. He carries me. I am his servant. Lead me, Lord. Direct all my paths. For your glory, your pleasure, your purposes will prevail. As I prayed for healing and comfort, Isaiah 53, 5, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. Two days before I got the actual diagnosis, I wrote, Father, touch me. Heal me. Something is dreadfully wrong inside me. The pressure mounts. It fills me and takes my breath. I admit fear. It's gripping me. Death. Oh, Father, be my strength, my comfort, my peace. On May 11th, the cancer bomb was once again dropped in my lap. I admit it shook me to the core. The first few days in the hospital, I was given a very grim prognosis with a short life expectancy. I started spiraling downhill into despair. I lay in my hospital bed crying, and I opened my Bible. And the verse right before my eyes was Matthew 6, 27. Who of you, by worrying, can add one single hour to your life? 
That verse ministered to me immensely. Worrying could only bring me down deeper. I needed to keep my eyes on Jesus, focusing on his living word, his truth. It would give me all I needed for this trial. Verses and scriptures of hope were running through my mind, heart, and soul. The preparation I had 11 years ago was now sustaining me for what might be the greatest challenge. I face the fact that someday I will die, as we all will. And I have an assurance of where I am going. I am heaven-bound because Jesus died for me and he forgave me of all my sins. Till then, what am I to do? I am to continue, to continue living, trusting God and his word for what opportunities he still gives me while I'm yet in the land of the living. I was recalling how often in my journaling I use the phrase, make a way with the Lord as I pray for the seemingly impossible countless times I and my family have seen the hand of God. We have been recipients of miracles. I started asking God for a miracle once again, and he reminded us, me that our adopted handicapped son, Joey, was right before me, and he is a living miracle. We were told he'd never walk and he'd have a very short life. Doctors can't explain it, but Joey walks, and he just turned 13. Reflecting on God's faithfulness in Joey's life and journey is helping me to even have more hope. I have many favorite scriptures, but I must admit, he so often has new words jump off the pages to me, and it's exactly what I need at that moment. I go to his word, and I expect to be filled, because I know and believe they are the very words of God Almighty. And his word is living, and it has the power to transform my life and yours. No matter what the past is or how bad the present seems, Isaiah 43, 18 and 19, forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the desert and streams in the wasteland. Well, for almost 52 years, I have been blessed beyond measure, even in the ups and downs. I wasn't promised a smooth road, but I have been promised he will never leave me nor forsake me, and so many times he carries me. So while I am yet in the land of the living, I encourage you all to go to his word, his truth. And there you will find forgiveness, comfort, joy, peace, love, and life. Let his word be alive and active in your life and never lose hope. For Isaiah 40, 31 says, But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. And they will walk and not be faint. And I want to just thank everyone for your prayers. That is Oh, the peace I have felt. And I know the brothers and sisters in the Lord that have been lifting me up, like Moses was lifted up by Aaron and her, have helped sustain me and my family. Thank you for all the meals and all your kind thoughts and cards. And I close now with Acts 20, 24. I consider my life worth nothing to me. If only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. Thank you. Amen. Thanks, Michelle. Let's stand together, would you? Stand up. Just wait a minute. Let's let's pray. And uh, Doug, you want to come up here while we pray? Let's just pray with Michelle today that uh, God will continue to be with her through this journey and this struggle and that uh, God will just do great things. Thanks for what you shared with us, Michelle. That was a wonderful, wonderful word of encouragement to us all. Really appreciate that. And I, I truly would say, my family probably needs more prayer than me, because I think I'm more at peace. <laughs> so.
my children over there, many of them crying. Right here, yeah. Well, let's, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for your presence. We thank you, Lord, for Doug and Michelle. You see the journey. We're so grateful, Lord, as, as Michelle has expressed, that the Lord of this universe is on this journey with them, holding them in the palm of their hand, your hand, the entire family. Lord, we don't put a lid on what you can do. You are the God who does miracles. You're the God who heals. We don't put a lid on your power, your grace. But what we do, we surrender ourselves to the very perfect will of God. Thank you, Lord, for your leadership and your guidance and the the confidence we can have that God is holding Michelle and Doug and this entire family in the palm of his hand. And we give you praise for these things. In Jesus' wonderful name, amen. 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 Lord bless you, Thank Michelle. You. Right, Doug. Amen. You can be seated. Said a moment ago that we're in a series, this is the third week, uh, called Final Word. Asking the question, is there such a thing as final truth? And that really is the question of God. It's the question of faith. Two weeks ago, we discussed among the options, three options. There is either no God. If there's no God, then there is no final word. Perhaps there's an impersonal God, more like a force. If that's the case, there is no final word because such, such gods could not communicate. But if there is a personal, infinite God behind the universe, then we would expect that God to communicate. In fact, we would more, it's stronger than that. We, with our search for meaning and purpose, we would want desperately that God to communicate because we can't live meaningless lives. The claim of the scripture is to be that final word. And then last week we saw how Jesus Christ came into the world confirming that. First of all, he said, I have come here from God. I am the eternal Son of God. And I'm here to tell you, and he says it in the strongest terms, this book is all about me. Every word in this book points to me and what I came into the world to do. I came to give redemption. I came to redeem this confused humanity, even confused about their origins and their meaning. I came to straighten that out and give hope, give direction. Now, you can listen to those sermons online. Go to the website. You can get a CD. uh, Fill in a lot of the details that I can only summarize here this morning. Now, today, what I want to do in this message is I want to open a door, pave the way for our guest next week. I've been talking about Steve Kristolovich. Steve is a physicist who works at Fermi Lab. He's worked over there for 28 or 30 years. He is going to come next Sunday to discuss the unity between the Scripture and science. Now, he comes with just a whole string of credentials. Uh, He works with the top scientists in the world. And I'll tell you what, never in the history of the world, never in the history of science, which is relatively young young anyway, Never has there been so many amazing, astounding things being discovered on both ends of the spectrum, all the way down into the particles inside the atom, and 
stretching all the way out to the far reaches of our expanding universe, the discoveries that are being made right now, things like quantum mechanics and, and particle physics. And you've probably read in the newspaper about this so-called God particle, all those things. That's what Steve does. And he's going to be here next week to just talk with us. And I want to encourage you to be here. I think that we need to see, the, I think we need to know that we don't have a faith that exists some sort, in some sort of little vacuum, disconnected from the rest of life in the world. This book connects to every facet of human life and meaning and purpose. And Steve is going to be eloquently able to share that with us from the, from the perspective of science next week. Uh, so I would encourage you to be here, but you know what? This is a great opportunity. One of the biggest questions facing people today is, is there a God? Is there a final truth? Don't science and scripture sort of cancel each other out? Well, you have friends, you have people at work that are asking those questions. Those are huge questions. So I just want to encourage you to take an opportunity to invite a friend or two, a family member, to come who's really searching after truth. It it could be a turning point in their life. Now this morning, then I want to pave the way. I want to sort of open the door uh, to what Steve is going to be talking to us about next week. And I'll start this way. When I was a kid, very often on summer nights, my dad and I, we would sit out on the lawn, tip our lawn chairs back so we could see the sky. Now in northwestern rural Pennsylvania, in a place called Moss Grove, Back on a dirt road, that's where I grew up, there were no streetlights. You had to go a few miles. You had to go five miles to find a streetlight <laughs> to Titusville, Pennsylvania. And I, so laying there looking at the stars, you could see the stars. They were like diamonds stretched out on a black cloth. Uh, it's not like here in the suburbs. You can barely see the stars. I go out back on my lawn chair at home, I look for them, but they're, they're very faint because we have so much light on the ground. But in northwestern Pennsylvania, it was like being in a theater. It was, and I would, my sense of wonder and imagination, those nights with my dad sitting out there, I, you know, I can, I can still, I, I wish I could go back and do those things with him again. And I would fire question after question at him. And he would do his best to give me those answers. You know how kids are at that certain stage where they, <laughs> they pummel you with questions, they just won't quit? Well, that was me. And then looking back on those, those questions I was asking, I was asking really two kinds of questions. I was asking science questions, and I was asking theology questions, even as a kid. You know what? Kids ask theological questions. They do. Uh, now, Science questions have to do with answering the question, what? What is this I'm observing with my eyes? What is this I'm handling and observing with my five senses? And so I would ask my dad those kinds of questions. Dad, what is the sun? What is a star? What's it made out of? What is the distance from here to the sun, to the moon? What makes the planets stay in their orbit? What keeps them in their orbit? Those are science questions. But you know, those what questions weren't enough for me on those starry nights. They led to a a whole different set and kind of questions. They led to why questions. And when we start asking why questions, we've moved into the, the territory of theology. We've moved from science to theology. So I would say, Dad... 
Why is the sun out there? Why is the universe here, and where does it end, by the way? And why are we here? (laughs) Those questions take it a lot deeper. How do we fit in? They're questions about purpose and meaning. You know, science questions just naturally lead to theology questions. But here's our question this morning. Do the answers to the questions of science and the answers to the questions of theology, do they point in the same direction or are they at odds and in conflict with each other? Now it seems like we live in a time when science and God are not at all on friendly terms. In fact, we live in a time when many believe that science has eliminated any need for God. And the most eloquent uh, expression of that is in Richard Dawkins' book, The God Delusion, written three, four years ago. But, you know, that attitude toward God, if there is a God, that would be the worst possible insult that we human beings could deliver to to such a God. If God is the primary purpose, a primary person behind this universe, if he is the creator, if he is that supreme artist, that great engineer, if he is the great lover of the universe, to be written off as imaginary or as some superstitious nuisance that keeps trying to nose his way into our human affairs, well, that would be the greatest possible insult if that God exists. Of course, if that God isn't there, then science becomes God. And so we have this major question this morning that it seems to lead in two entirely different directions. But does science really lead away from God, or does it lead toward God? Well, this conflict is raging most in our culture right now around the theory or the ideology or the philosophy of evolution. Now, before I start to talk about evolution for just a minute or two, I want to make a distinction. There are really two different uh, branches of evolution. There is one called theistic evolution. And there are a number of very devoted Christians who believe that God used uh, uh, evolution evolutionary means as his mechanism for bringing creation into being. Now, this would be a totally different topic, but I personally feel that's a very, it's got a lot of loopholes, it's got a, very, a, lot of, a lot of weaknesses in that view. But there are some devoted Christians who are called theistic, evolutions, uh, theistic evolutionists who do believe that. They believe in God, they just accept that as his mechanism, okay? Um, I think it's got a lot of weaknesses. But the kind of evolution I'm talking about today is that other kind, that dominant kind in our society. It's that atheistic or naturalistic evolution that just eliminates the idea of God. So when I refer to evolution over the next few moments, that's the branch of evolution that I'm talking about. Now, I want to make another distinction here. I want to distinguish between science and evolution. Science is experimenting in a lab with things that we can observe and test, answering the what questions. However, evolution is a theory of science, 
And there is a big difference between science itself and a theory that is imposed upon science. And that's what evolution is. Evolution seeks to explain the forces behind the experiments, behind the observations of science, behind nature and behind existence. So evolution crosses over from what into why questions. Evolution is a philosophy. Evolution is a, uh, is a theory beyond science. It's, it's an attempt to explain the origins of the universe and, and us too. However, the scripture says that science and God are friends, are great friends. In fact, the Bible states it much more strongly than that. The Bible says that God is the author of science. God is the original scientist who created this universe. Creation is his work. Psalm 19, verse number 1, states this, that when we observe nature, we're seeing the glory and the splendor of God. It says it this way, the heavens declare the glory of God, the skies proclaim, shout out, the work of his hands. The opening line in the Bible, uh, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, Genesis 1.1. The scripture is telling us that there is a person, a personality behind creation. And this leads to some very important outcomes for you and I and the way we live our lives. Here they are. That means life has purpose. That there is a God who is a person of intelligence, morality, justice, fairness, purity, values, love, relationships, and meaning. And so personality as the source of creation adds immeasurable depth and meaning to your life and mine that otherwise could never be there. There would be no basis for it. And one of the best evidences in all creation that God is there is ourselves. Why are things like morality and justice and fairness and purity and values and love and relationships, why are things like meaning and purpose, why are those things so important to us? How did we get personality in an impersonal universe, if that's what it is? No, the scripture says... We were crafted, handcrafted, by a very personal but infinite and powerful God, a creative artist. We were made masterpieces to reflect his own character, his own likeness, his own image. The Bible, Latin calls it the imago Dei. We are image bearers of God. Now, if science leads away from God as evolutionary philosophy says, then what is the outcome of that? Well, evolutionary theory would say that science and God are enemies. And, if that, and the opening statement of creation would have to read something like this. In the beginning, nature created itself. The Latins have a term for that, ex nihilo. It means out of nothing. Now, I have a Scrabble game with me this morning. It's one of my favorite games. Every time I see, every time I see my daughter-in-law out in Seattle, she goes and grabs her Scrabble game because she likes to play, and quite often she beats me. That makes it even more fun for her. But uh, 
I have this Scrabble game, and uh, imagine this morning, I were to take this just as it is, in the box, and you know all the pieces in Scrabble, you know the board, you've probably played it. What if I took this box, and I just tossed it up in the air, and let it land? Um, And then, by itself, the board laid flat out on the floor, the four little pieces for all the four players that you know, have to be you, know, you set up around, and each have seven, seven uh, letters on, the, on the, seven, or the four pieces, right? And then, all, what, if, what if it all came down perfectly organized for people to sit down and play the game? Or what if it, oh, in fact, even more than that, what if it came down with all the Scrabble letters, all the pieces on the board, perfectly in the squares, making sense, making real words. You would say what? Pastor Jim, how did you do that? (laughs) Do it again. That was amazing. I can't believe, that's incredible. I've never seen anything like that. Now, that's what we're being asked to believe. If we accept the fact that there is no God or some sort of impersonal force-like God other than a personal God who is intelligent and designs things and creates things. Now, my illustration breaks down, though, in two ways that make this whole thing even more unbelievable. Number one is, I am an outside force. I picked up the box and threw it. Well, in this model of evolutionary uh, you know, evolution, there is no outside force to pick up the box you know, and get, it, get everything going. That outside force, they would, that would lead them to think, oh man, there's a, there's a God back there somewhere. The other way it breaks down is that um, uh, throwing this up and having all the pieces fall in place perfectly, that would be simple. A simple thing compared to the <laughs> trillions and trillions and trillions of bits and pieces in this universe with all their complexity and fine-tunedness that would have to, out of accident, fall into perfect order in place. The order that we see and the order that caused Isaac Newton to just go crazy and write out all those laws. <laughs> uh, Now, but that's the theory of evolution being imposed upon and as an explanation for our origins and the origins of the universe. Um, Albert Einstein said this. He said, the most incomprehensible thing about the universe is that it is comprehensible at all. If a person believes that the universe is an accident, of chance, out of nothing, then one wouldn't expect to see such order produced by pure chance. And you know, here's a really strange thing too. All scientists recognize the order in nature. In fact, their jobs depend upon that. If there wasn't order in nature, there'd be nothing for scientists to do. But at the same time, many of them, not all, but many of them will not recognize in that order that there is design and purpose because that would lead them to, toward the direction of there's a designer back there, there's a God back there. 
Now, I want you to listen to this statement from Richard Dawkins, who is probably the most well-known and probably the most eloquent spokesperson in the world today for, uh, for atheistic, naturalistic evolution. And I'm quoting him from a book by Dr. Philip Johnson called Darwin on Trial. This is what he says. This is what Dawkins says. Biology is the study of complicated things that give the appearance of having been designed for a purpose. So even Dawkins recognizes there's, a, there's an appearance that would lead a person to think there's a designer back there. And then Dawkins goes on to cite the complexity of, of the human cell. He says it this way, that just one living cell is equal to 30 volumes of the Encyclopedia Britannica. That's the information inside of one human cell. And yet he believes that somehow all this order is the result of pure chance. I would suggest that such a belief requires a huge heap of faith. Um, I think it takes more faith to believe that than it does to believe. You know what? There's probably a designer out there. Um, it's, a miracle. it's a miracle without a miracle worker. So if science leads away from God and replaces God, what are the results for us in the way we live our lives? Well, they would be something like this. Life has no purpose. And there is no personality behind creation. Things like morality and values and love and relationships and family and justice and fairness, those things become extremely shallow. And what it means is, my dad and I, sitting out those many years ago, one-on-one -on -one together under the stars, wasn't the bonding, wasn't this great bonding thing, this God-given wonderful relationship between a father and a son and a son and dad bonding and building a deep hearts for each other. And then when my dad passed away in 1992 and I spent three years grieving that, you know, this whole, this, this model you know what that says it, it all amounts to? Is just a bunch of my molecules in chemistry having a fit. Trying to get used to the loss. But it, it's nothing more than molecules in chemistry. So evolution reduces meaning to nothing. Meaning is an illusion. Morality and love and all those things we hold dear... They are nothing more than illusions. Stephen Jay Gold, who's another leading evolutionist, in fact, he died a few years back. Prior to his death to cancer, uh, he was interviewed by Larry King. And Larry King asked him, what does existence, life, the universe finally mean, Stephen? What's the bottom line? And Stephen Gold answered this, it all reduces down to bacteria. We all decay and die. Bacteria is what it's all about. Now, the problem with that is that weak human beings can't live meaningless lives. We can't do that successfully. It doesn't fit our design. A few years back, there was a helicopter that crashed out on Mount Hood. There were nine uh, stranded skiers out there 
And so this helicopter, rescue helicopter went up to try to rescue them. But you know, that helicopter, like all helicopters, was designed to fly at certain altitudes. But when it crossed over into an altitude where the air was too thin, there was not enough lift to keep it flying. And so on the news, if you can remember this, you saw this picture of that helicopter crash into the side of the mountain, and then it just started to roll hundreds of feet over and over and over. and just rolled down the mountain. Evolution leads people into an altitude of meaninglessness that does not fit our design for purpose and meaning. And when people try to live in that altitude, they crash. We can't live in that kind of thin air. And so why is it that the only creatures on this planet that have emotional breakdowns, sometimes to the point of even committing suicide, why is it that the only creatures that do that are people? My observation is that if we keep our dogs, our cats, our pets eating their alpo and their fancy feast meals, if we keep the pets happy, treat them with care and love, they're good. I don't think our cats and our dogs sit around contemplating uh, the universe and what is my place in the universe. They don't do that. But you know what? And Jesus said this. You could give a person, you could give a human being every material thing to desire anything, any human being. Win the lottery. Get everything you want, materialistically speaking. And that person will still have as big of an empty hole in their heart as the person living on Skid Row in New York City. What is a profit a man, Jesus said, if he gains the whole world? She gains the whole world, but loses his soul. The soul is empty. Why is that? Because we're defined, we were designed to fly at a certain altitude. We were designed to fly at the altitude of meaning and purpose, not meaninglessness. So when science leads to God, life is brimming, overflowing with order, but not just order, also purpose in the midst of that order. But when science leads us away from God, or let me say it this way, science doesn't, if we think science leads us away from God, it doesn't, but if we think it does, then we have to admit that life is a paradox. It's a contradiction. Because we see physically the world brimming with order. It's overflowing with order. But when we try to find some sort of purpose and meaning that's in that order, well, we're going to come up dry. It's not there. If we believe that science eliminates God, that, that science leads away from God. So, to wrap it up this morning, why, why, why this resistance to God among highly intelligent people? Why this postulating a theory of our origins that reduces us to meaninglessness and at the same time requires more faith to buy into than belief in a creator. Why do we do that? Jesus has an answer for that. Jesus taught that we are alienated from God. 
We are alienated from God by our choice to be self-sufficient. Our parents, going way back to Adam and Eve, they made that, that choice to be self-sufficient. We do not need you, God. We'll take over. You can go take a hike. And so we pushed God away. And in that, we became extremely confused to the point of creating new versions of God or versions of no God. And so we come up with theories and explanations for our origins that leave him out of the picture. Jesus said the problem is not really a science issue. It's not really an evolution issue. It's not that. The science really is a self-sufficiency issue. It's an alienation problem. We're alienated from God. But the scripture eloquently explains many times over our origin and the origin of the whole creation, telling us that our origin and therefore our meaning is found in this person we always talk about here who said, and the person who said this whole book is about me, is the person Jesus Christ. Here's one of the things this book says so eloquently about our origins. Listen to this. Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 to 17 says this. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. That's who he was. Came to show us God. He existed before God made anything at all. And he is supreme over all creation. Christ is the one through whom God created everything in heaven and earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't. Kings, kingdoms, rulers, authorities. Everything has been created through Christ and for Christ. He existed before everything else, and he holds all creation together. All the molecules that keep you together and this whole universe together. Christ is the power that holds it all together. And then Jesus stepped into our world and he said this, John 6, 47. He said, I tell you the truth, he who believes in me will have everlasting life. You know, meaning and purpose can't become greater than that, than to have God's life inside of you. That's his promise. Now, Jesus said he was the bread of heaven. Come down. And if we'll place faith in him, we have spiritual food that is going to give us meaning. We all have to go home and eat some bread today, right? That keeps our bodies going. But we're much more than just these molecules in our bodies. That's what Jesus is saying. Now, <clears throat> so let me ask you this. Do you really believe that yourself and the people seated next to you, maybe it's a, maybe it's a family member seated next to you, we have several families in our church, and I'm grateful for this, that uh, we have brand new babies. I see some here today. Uh, we have brand new babies in our church. A couple are just a week or two old. We have some more on the way, and I hope that continues. <laughs> uh, let me ask you, parents, does, does everything you see when you look at that little child and everything you feel in the bond for that child, does that reduce down to nothing more than bacteria? Really? Come on now. Uh, well, that's where this atheistic theory of evolution, that's where it goes. 
it, it really says that we human beings are nothing more than a germ on a doorknob. Just highly developed germs. But have no more intrinsic value. Though we're highly developed, we have no more intrinsic value than a germ we would want to wipe off of a doorknob because we might catch something from it. Is that who we are? I would like to offer an alternative. And again, this comes from Jesus. Jesus expressing our value in John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him would not perish, would not spend their eternity separated from him and separated from the source of meaning and purpose, but would instead have everlasting life. Now the message of Jesus is that we can be reconnected personally to this God we've been alienated from. We can encounter this God. He made the way for this by dying for that one root of sin, that root of self-sufficiency. Jesus went to the cross and died for that sin and all the other sins that it produces so that there would be a way for us to be forgiven. The barrier between us wept, swept away and a holy, sinless God, we can come back together with him again. And my prayer is that every person in this room, the most decisive thing you will ever do in your life, the rock you place your feet upon, the center of your life, is this fact that Jesus Christ is your Savior. You've reached out. You've taken him so that all of his meaning and purpose in life can come flowing into you. How do you come to him? Well, you can do it sincerely if you've never done that before. Where you sit in your chair today, Christ is here, and he promises to hear the prayer. Something like this, Father, I know that I have sinned. I know I'm separated from you. I don't want to live a self-sufficient life ignoring you anymore. I give my life to you. Thank you for your death on the cross to redeem me, to forgive me. Come into my life. You pray a prayer like that, and the Lord of this universe, the God who created you for meaning and purpose, will come and he'll fill the vacuum at the center of your heart with the purpose you were created to have. All of us who are followers of Christ right now, what I want to encourage is that we be people of this book. We get into this thing. Uh, Jesus said, these are words of life. My words, they are spirit and they are life. That's what this is. Start in the New Testament. Don't get lost in Leviticus. Take that, save that later. Start with Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then work your way through, okay? Get in, but get, believers, come on. Get into this book. There's life in this book. Um... I think I've said it all. <laughs> Let's pray. <laughs> Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you, Lord, that you've not left us adrift, uh, but you are a communicating God. And you've given us the most wonderful message any ear could ever hear. That there's a way out of our confusion. There's a way out of our hopelessness. There's a way out of our sorrows and pain and addictions. And there's a way out. Jesus Christ is the Savior, the Redeemer. He is the word from God, the message. And so, Lord, I pray that every one of us today have opened our hearts to receive him.
And Lord, we, we thank you for this. And we give you praise for this. In the mighty name of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.